welcome back to another episode of Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. For episode 58, we have Northampton's own Kimaya Diggs. Kimaya is a tremendously talented local singer-songwriter, performer, and teaching artist, and a good friend of ours here at the podcast. She first went on tour as a workshop leader at age 11, when she took her homegrown and self-directed children's music trio on the road to local schools and libraries, teaching international music from 20 distinct vocal traditions spanning 27 languages. Since then, Kimaya has toured for several months over three continents, performing and teaching vocal music in workshops with participants of all ages. She has extensive musical theater and dance training and is a multi-instrumentalist trained in classical piano and cello and accompanying herself on guitar and ukulele. Before our interview, I'm gonna play the title track from her brand new debut album, Breastfed. Woman that I needed most to sleep when I was just a girl A quiet sin and no one saw the story told around the sun Narrow blackened body holding all the light of days to come With melancholy in my veins, my mind is turning and becoming light And hard to hold a capture freer than a honeybee's I'm sorry for the time and all the money that you spent on me I'm sorry for the way I get unstable very easily My balance is precarious the best oh mother mother will you come to me my memory betrayed me somehow i can see her smiling telling me to tell the world i'm tired and so is she the way i always acted selfish wanted more than i would give i hate the fact that someone like the girl i was is made to live and now her stomach's torn and all her bones are breaking but i know she made me love becomes a leash and i escape my heart is always beating slower than the slowest drum my stubbornness is hidden in her eyes it takes an hour to turn around and start to come love the things she says until i can't no more i told her that i read a book really i was kissing other boys behind the pantry door it's perilous at best to try to tell her she should rest the stars align and i can't see my moon oh mother come to me She's an incantation. 
So the Gateway City Arts, that was your album release show, right? Yeah. So how'd that go? Um, it was awesome. Yeah, it was my first show with a full band. It was super fun. It's I don't really consider myself to be a guitar player, you know, in any way other than just a functional sense. Um, so it was really nice. I got a lot of pressure taken off of me by having the whole band there carrying uh, carrying the accompaniment part. <laughs> um yeah, I had a great time. Loved decorating. Um, and so many people came. I think we had 120 wow. people or something. Filled the place up? Yeah, yeah. It was super fun. I got to wear my gold velvet jumpsuit also, which is a, <laughs> another highlight. So is your style kind of like retro 70s? I would say at the moment, just unexpectedly, that's sort of what has happened. Um, my sister bought me that jumpsuit. She really likes Zara. You know, the store Zara. Okay, no. it's basically a joke in my family how much she likes Zara because she's always on their website looking at their clothes and stuff. And um, she just bought me that jumpsuit because it was on clearance on Zara.com. Mm. And it wasn't her size. She just wanted me to have it because she loves Zara and wanted to buy something. Wanted you to take part in Zara. Yeah, and I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to wear this. And now it's become like a big staple in my performing life. So what are you wearing on the cover of Breastfed? That's, it's That's that jumpsuit. That's the one, yep. okay. Yep. It's that one. Yeah, it's a fun, fun garment. <laughs> so you uh, wouldn't classify yourself as primarily a guitar player. You're, for you, it's singing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's singing. And I even feel more comfortable, like I grew up playing piano and cello, so I even feel more comfortable in those realms. Um... But I really wanted to learn to play guitar because I wasn't able to write songs on piano. For me, playing piano is, like, inextricable from reading music. Weird. So huh. I can't really do that much by ear. Um, but I can sight-read tons of stuff. Um, so I knew that I needed a new instrument that I learned by ear so that I could start writing. And as soon as I learned to play guitar, I just immediately wrote a whole bunch of songs. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I started by learning classical piano, reading sheet music, and then I kind of went away from that and eventually got into songwriting. And by now, I don't know how I ever was able to, to read sheet music or do anything except like play my own thing. <laughs> Completely yeah. Disappeared. Yeah, I'm not sure why. It's, it's sort of like the instruments I play are on a, on a spectrum, like... I can't play piano unless I have sheet music. I can't play guitar with huh. sheet music. I, I usually don't know what the name of the chord is that I'm playing. Um, and as well, such, I don't write down the chords. be kind of freeing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then when I play cello, it's sort of in between. I think maybe because there aren't any frets or keys on it, um, it feels a little bit more fluid so I can sight read, but... I also, like, my album has tons of cello tracks on it because it's easy for me to just listen and then fluidly come up with something by ear. Well, plus, because cello also sounds awesome. Yeah, cellos rule. They rule. Really, to all the violin players out there, cellos are better. Really gives <laughs> a, a song, like, an extra layer of uh, tension or yeah. drama, I think. And I just love the texture of cello. Like, my sister played violin before I played cello, and I was thinking of starting a stringed instrument, and the reason why I was so drawn to cello is because somebody told me it's the closest instrument to a human voice. Um, and I have always mm. been, like, jealous of 
men who sing because they could sing low and up in the falsetto range. And so I think that playing cello is sort of my way to try to get that part of the range, the lower range. It's funny that you say that. I don't know if you know uh, Nick Drake's The Cello Song. No. He has a song called The Cello Song. And the cello is featured very prominently in the song. It starts playing this particular melody. And then later on, Nick Drake will sing the melody that the cello played, and they almost sound like the same instrument. That's awesome. So now I know why it's the one that's closest to the the human register. Yeah, that's so cool. So you come from a pretty musical family? Everybody's play something or another? Yeah. Both of my sisters play strings and piano, and we all sing, and my parents are very musical. Um, My parents are great singers. um, And I really credit them with pretty much the entire musical being I am today. Like, we used to do community theater together, and we would do musicals, and everyone in my family would be in them. Um, And then when I first wrote songs, I only wrote a few and then had, like, a gap of, I don't know, 15 years or something. (laughs) Um, But the first songs I wrote were with my sisters. And we would go, we had, like, a touring act of, we would do, like, world music acapella together in a trio, and then we would teach kids about our stringed instruments so we would go to schools and libraries and stuff oh that sounds so fun this is a cello this is a violin this is a viola here's how they're different and the same and now let's sing a song together and you know um yeah so that was like a big way to feel some ownership of my music and that definitely came right out of like the core of my family cool so you're touring around massachusetts Mm mm-hmm we also are our claim to fame at the time as an 11 year old was we did a big, big show in upstate New York. Um, and it was super fun. There were tons and tons and tons of little kids there. And we hand-assembled all of our CDs using, like, a, a template and, like, MS Paint or something like that. Um, and we, like, sold out of all our CDs at that wow. show. And it was very fun. <laughs> you're still, like, in middle school. Basically. I think I was in sixth grade, yeah. Wow, not bad. So you got, got <laughs> in the game early. Yeah. <laughs> and then you said you had a kind of a lapse you went away from it for a while um yeah I mean I was always singing with my sisters but for there was a period of time when it turned into sort of like the thing our parents made us do for our grandparents uh, you know what I mean like but I just think it was during the time of life when I was probably a terrible person and my sisters too like the mid-teens um and then just the break was extended because we were all I started you know went to college in Pennsylvania, and then my sister went to college, and then my other sisters just started college. So we're all sort of apart from each other, but we got together in January um, and recorded our third album after a 10-year break. Um, yeah, we just like did a really long session in one day and recorded this whole wow. thing together. Wow, so that album is out now? It is, yeah. So what's that called? It's called Home Home, and I think it's just on Bandcamp. Home Home. Yeah, and it's under my name. Technically, it is the Dig Sisters, but it's under my name. <laughs> so how does working with your sisters differ from uh, when you were making this debut solo album? Is that process a lot different for you? or um, The process is different for me because in the context of singing with my sisters, um, like our voices work really well together, and the language that we use to come up with new arrangements and stuff is really sort of standardized with us. The way you communicate. Yeah. And then it's also like we're all very familiar with what is possible 
you know what I mean? So we don't really float ideas that we know are just going to not work. So it's really easy to work together. Um, when I was recording, I had never done something like that before. I hadn't really demoed more than one of the songs mm. beforehand. So I didn't know what was possible. I didn't really know about the mixing and mastering process. So I didn't know like how perfect everything had to be. And if I needed it's, to get the precise it's quite sound. laborious. Yeah. yeah. And even in the best person explaining it to you, it still doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, there's um, something to be said for really defining those roles as you're responsible for this part of yes. the recording process. And then, you know, get the technician in there. Yeah. Who, who just has experience in specifically that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jacob, my husband is the one who recorded it. And so we did it like one track at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, but also, and he was more experienced in recording than I was by a lot, but he also had never recorded cello and stuff like that. So some stuff for him was new also. Learning process for both of you. Exactly. Um, but it was really fun to get to work with him and we, you know, came up with a lot of the arrangements on the fly. Um, and he had a lot of ideas. It was he had a lot of ideas based on what he knew was possible later. Um, so it was a, a steep learning curve, but really a cool process. Mm. And so Jacob, he's uh, a member of Lux Deluxe, mm -hmm. who I had on the podcast about a year ago. So is, mm. it, was he coming into it with more of a rock uh, taste, kind of a rock influence? or I would say yes, definitely. I, the music that we listen to doesn't really overlap very much yeah so sometimes he would be trying to push something in a direction based on a an influence that i was not familiar with based on a bruce springsteen b-side or something <laughs> yeah maybe um but i was like what direction are you trying to go in right now this doesn't make any sense and he's like oh i'm trying to do this like radiohead type of thing and i'd be like i don't really you're not going for radiohead know what you're talking about um you know i know they're like greatest hits <laughs> Um, so that was sometimes just difficult in a communication sense because I could, you know, we'd, I'd be like, oh, I want it to be like this thing. And he'd be like, I want it to be like that thing. And we'd be like, we don't even know what the other person's talking about. Um, but I think in a lot of ways he pushed it in a really good direction. So something like, um, Baby Isn't Home. Yeah. Which is one of the songs That's on the album. Strong one. Yeah. It has all this like crazy backward stuff and yeah. these like sort of shreddy dreamy guitar like waterfalls and he actually did that all while I was not there <laughs> and then I came in and he's like I added some stuff and it blew my mind and I yeah, was like oh my god well I never could have conceptualized that and even if I could have I would have had no idea how to do it and then even if I knew how to do it I didn't have the ability to do it you know so that song would not have gotten to that place on my own at all <laughs> you need all the pieces yeah i think th there are definitely a few times when i would do something and he would give me a look and it'd be like what <laughs> and he'd be like this song does not make any sense and i do not get it and i'd be like sometimes we would just talk about it and sometimes i'd be like well too bad we're just gonna do it this way and then later he'd be like okay you had this plan and it ended up making sense <laughs> Wow. Well, it sounds like uh, the album really benefited from this collaboration. This, yeah. That dynamic. Yeah, I think it would be a completely different thing without without that collaboration. Do you, more than recording, uh, do you enjoy performing the most or singing unto itself or songwriting? Or where, where's your... I do not like writing. 
You don't like writing. No, I, I, I don't mind writing the words because that doesn't, it's not very difficult for me. Um, but coming up with like the chords for something kills me. Hmm. <laughs> I have the opposite problem entirely. Really? But I'm, I'm jealous. Like I just, well, as soon as I have some chords, I am like, great. Now here's the rest of the song two minutes later. But the coming up with the chords takes me forever. Um, but in terms of what I like to do best, I would say I just love singing. I love, love, love singing. I like playing my guitar while I'm singing just because it makes the, the experience feel a little bit more like cohesive. Um, but first and foremost, I'm a singer, you know, um, like I really feel strongly that singing is a really important part of the human experience and, uh, is a special way to tell stories. And so that's like where my heart is for uh, sure. And what sort of, uh, stories do you like to tell usually? What do you go for in your, in your songwriting? Um, I like, well, so in college I studied creative writing and I was doing a lot of short fiction. Um, and I was really drawn to the sadness, like a average person sadness, not like horrible disaster trauma sadness. Just the everyday kind. Yeah, because that to me is like so, uh, so poignant. That's very French. Yes, I know. Très French. <laughs> um but, like, somebody who really inspired me in that sense was actually, like, Steve Carell. The comedian. Yeah. He has such a great way of making these characters that are just amplified, super average traits. And they're totally tragic. And they're so funny at the same time. Um, so that's where I was going in my fiction writing. And I try to find that sort of seed in my songwriting also. Um because not everybody can relate to trauma and not everyone can like relate to depression or anxiety or just ennui, but everyone can relate to just like the weird sadness of being a person and how hard it is for some strange reason all the time. And it's also sort of funny. Um, so that's sort of the kind of stories that I'm drawn to. So that's where your music comes out of. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that a lot of my songs are sort of family oriented um, or friendship oriented as opposed to like romantic relationship centered just because I think romantic relationships have so many idiosyncrasies in them that are a little weird to capture and families, every family and every friendship has like the strangest, grossest tangles of weirdness ever. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's a good way to put it. There's a lot more universal themes in that maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So breastfed in particular, what was the, how did you conceive that album? What were, what were the, uh, the biggest influences going in or the themes you wanted to really tackle? Um, well, I wrote a lot of the songs towards the end of when I was in college. So, and when a bunch of people in my family were really sick. Mm. So I was not only like physically far away but was also like on the cusp of the whole like graduate and mm, turn into a that's grown That's a weird up. time, yeah. Yeah. Plus who needed to take care of who was really changing because there were people who were sick um like physically and you know emotionally who needs to care for somebody um and so just the strange shiftings of those balances and the the direction of care um was really jarring for me and was very hard to unwrap and so a lot of the songs 
are just trying to figure out like what happens to a family in a shifting moment. Um, and I called it breastfed because the first, I was trying to think like, have I felt this shift before? Um, and the first time I could remember that is when my sister was born and she was breastfeeding. And I remember being like, oh my God, she took my spot. You were like five or six at the time? I was two and a half. Oh, you, I was, you remember this that? This is a very though. early memory. Yeah. And I just remember knowing that she needed it more. Like I knew that it wasn't my spot anymore, but I also was like, how dare she? <laughs> like I was so jealous, you know, or like felt betrayed. Um, and so that moment, that was like the first shift of that sort that I could remember. Wow. So this big gap that you had between um, performing with your family mm-hmm. when you were in sixth grade and then to finally start writing songs again, what made you come back? Because um, you were doing fiction writing. Yeah. Um, I imagine you do poetry as well. What made you want to get back into uh, to melodies? Yeah, I would say sort of a couple of things. I was really... I, for for one, I thought of performing as like performing solo as being sort of a difficult thing because I was usually singing opera or jazz like throughout high school and college, and so that relied on a lot of other people to be there to accompany or like play in the band, um, and the idea of playing solo seemed really complicated. And somebody just explained to me his solo setup for performing, and I was like, oh my god, this is very easy. That's the easiest way to do it almost. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I should just do that. And I was like, wait, I need to play an instrument. That's, I'm very, very lazy when it comes to taking trips. Like I'd rather break my arm than take a second trip. (laughs) Um, So I was like, I'm not going to play a keyboard (laughs) because I'm not going to carry it. That rules that out. Huh? That rules that out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, I guess I got to learn to play guitar and then write some songs. And I had been talking to a bunch of people as I was getting ready to graduate who were working in music. And they all said the same thing. They were like, you need to write songs. And I, for ages, was like, but I can't write songs. That's I'm not a, what I do. Yeah, I'm yeah. a person that doesn't write songs. And everybody said it. And so I was sitting there one day being like, Everyone says I have to, I have to write songs, so I guess I'm going to quit music. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, wait, what is happening? And I was like, I guess I better start. I guess I better start. It was just sort of like a shift moment that was like, you have to do this. or Just jump in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think anybody who gets into songwriting s- s- comes from a place of, oh, yeah, I got this. I've never done before, but... <laughs> Yeah. And I was really inspired also by um, Jacob's band because I think this summer that I got into writing songs, they were recording like a cassette Mm -hmm. album on their porch. And so they were like improvising these songs and then coming up with the words super, super fast and like recording them. And then it was done. And I was like, oh, my God, they could just make it happen. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) So... Yeah, that was kind of what jump-started me. You realized how approachable 
it was ultimately. Yeah, and also just that there's so many ways to do it. You know what I mean? Like their album that was recorded to cassette, it sounds like super homemade and rough, and that's part of the charm of it. But I hadn't heard something like that ever before. You know, so I, my concept of like what recording and writing could be like was like you make your perfect song and then you make your perfect recording. <laughs> Spend thousands of dollars, yeah. and hundreds of hours. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, and there is music that's made that way, but yes, that's not the only music. That exactly, has to be out there. Yeah. And so, breastfed was made over the period of a uh, few months to a year, or it was two years. Two years. Yeah, it took okay. a long time. That is, yeah, that's a very. I, I assume it was worth it. To I take think it that was worth. Time. Well. So it it was over two years. Ultimately, it did not take like two years of steady work. There were definitely times when we didn't do anything for months. Yeah. Yeah, it's because the studio we were using was the Lux Deluxe Studio. So either they were there or if they weren't there, it was because they were like doing a show that night or Mm -hmm. touring or something. And Jacob was the one recording me. So frequently if catch 22, yeah, if it was available, it was because no one was around and I could not do it by myself. (laughs) So it was just like, when can we get in and do it? Um, Ultimately it was very nice to do it in a space that was cozy and homey and I could spend any amount of time. Yeah. That's a very comfortable setup. Yeah. And the, uh, yeah, the arrangements, especially, they do sound like they needed that extra breathing room. They needed that time to carefully craft and put everything together. It's yeah, definitely. definitely not a rushed product in any sense of the word. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. But after two years, you must have been so relieved when it finally just finished up and got out there. Oh, what was that God. experience like? Oh, I was so happy to have it out there. Um, I was so happy. Like, I had been doing booking for myself like sending like iphone recordings to people and stuff like that it was really nice to just have something and the people that come to my shows um are usually are usually like so uh generous and kind and and supportive and so for like a year and a half before it came out people were like do you have a cd do you have a cd all the time (laughs) and i was like ha 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 well one day, maybe. <laughs> and then to finally say, hey, I got it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's super gratifying to have it. People are really appreciative of it. Um, and, you know, it like people are buying it and it's great. Um, and it's also super nice to have something that is, you know, it's on Spotify and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice to have a flexible way to send it to people. Like my relatives in India can yeah. listen to it and I don't have to mail them. Right. Yeah. It's worldwide. Yeah. Click so of a button. It's, yeah, it's nice in that sense. Um, and it's also just really nice because at, after a certain point, I felt like I was holding on to those stories and those moods in a way that was not healthy anymore. Mm. Like I wasn't processing them. I was just like lingering with them. Yeah. And so it was really nice to just put it out there and sink into that moment for that performance, for the album release, and then start thinking forward. Wow. So you've already moved on to new songs. Yeah, new I've written album. a bunch of new songs. I have my new my new album concept, um, which shall remain a secret. Yeah, gotta keep that under wraps. And... Yeah, um, but I'm because I've played with a full band now, and because I have recorded and done the mixing mastering process, I 
can think so much more clearly. Like when I'm writing, I'm writing for a band. Yeah. Now that I find, or at least this happened with myself, you go through that album recording process once, mm-hmm. you learn so much by oh my God, doing yeah. it and going through all the steps and understanding, oh, you go from point A to point B to point C. If I start out this way, that will have this result when I bring in these elements. And yeah. Yeah, you, st- you really start learning the craft of it. Yeah, and there's there's really no way to know until you've done it, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, you have to just learn trial. Yeah. So I'm really excited for the next one. I want to record it live with Ooh. the whole band. So... Live as in in concert or no, live just in the like studio. Have, yeah, yeah, have everybody there at one time. That's a tried and true method. Yeah, yeah. And you're uh, performing a lot these days around the area. I am. Yeah, playing. I'm inadvertently doing basically a brewery tour. A brewery in tour. August. Yeah, I'm like playing. I think at five breweries in August. Wow. How um, far out do you go? The farthest out I'm going. In August is to Stone Cow Brewery um, in Barrie. I think it's a barrier close to there. Is that um, Massachusetts? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, and then I'm doing an Iron Horse show in August. Oh, very cool. I'm really excited. It's going to be all women in the show. It's going to be me and Emma June. Oh, she's great. Yeah. yeah. We saw her a little while ago. Oh, really? Um, and then our friend from high school, Abby Tuomanen, she has a trio called Mama Caught Fire, and they're based in Minneapolis. Um, but she grew up around here, so they're coming back to do their first show in New England. Um, and for that show, I think I'm going to do a little bit of the music from the sister album, Home Home. So my sisters will be there. I'll do some of my own stuff um, and then some of our trio stuff. Um, and I'm super excited for that. Like, they're all amazing musicians. And you never see an all female bill. You really don't that like often. Anywhere no. ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm really excited to have that. Wow. And what's the date for that? August 28th. Okay. So that's coming up fairly yeah. soon. Yeah, it is. Wow. And how do you find, um, you know, you're performing a lot, you're writing, recording, you're keeping up the pace of a pretty busy singer-songwriter how do you juggle all the other responsibilities of uh modern life um i it's it's easier in the summer because i'm a teacher okay so you have off in the summer yeah so i mostly have off in the summer i just did two weeks of ukulele summer camp though with little kids it was fun um so definitely easier in the summer that's why my august and early september they're it's pretty packed with shows i think i have like 12 dates between now and september 10th or something but I work a lot of jobs because I want there to be room for the music. I want there to be flexibility. So I'm teaching at a couple different places part-time and then I'm bartending. Um, and it just means that there's a little bit more flexibility than if I'm somewhere all day, every day. Yeah. Um, definitely very tiring. Drive. I drive a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Live in my car. Um so I would say I don't really balance it that well. Like I think this like this past year has shown me that the pace I'm going at is a little unsustainable. But instead of trying to cut back on music, I'm trying to sort of reconfigure the, the other stuff. things. Yeah. Um so that I can, you know, live a sane and regular paced life, but also have lots of room for, for music. Yeah. And so Eventually, what would your ideal music uh, 
know, career, for lack of the better word, your life situation and how it relates to music, what would be the ideal scenario for you? My ideal scenario is that I'd be performing as much as possible um, and then have a lot of private students. I have a bunch of private, private students, students for right music? Or? Yeah, for music. I have a bunch of private students who do like songwriting or guitar, or ukulele or, or voice lessons with me. Um, and I love watching the progress and I yeah. love facilitating that. And I love working really closely with someone's, you know, individual goals. Um, so over time, I, I would love to sort of transition into mostly doing private lessons. Yeah. Yeah, I have some experience when I was living in Japan. I taught a lot of English, so I had lots cool. of English students and different settings and scenarios. And yeah, one-on-one or in a small group is in some ways so much more rewarding. Yeah, I think it is. Um, and you don't have to do as much like behavior management as yeah. you do in a classroom <laughs> where it's like, That's the bane oh. of teachers everywhere. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Yeah, I just want to teach the thing I care about. I don't want to like tell you to sit down flat in your chair so you don't flip over for the 10th time. So music education is as much a passion for you as um, music creation? Yeah, I would say so for sure. Um, And private students, I love having kids of any age. Like my youngest private student this year was five and my oldest was in his mid-60s. Okay. Um, But when I'm in a classroom setting, I really love being with high schoolers. They're weird. (laughs) They're so smart. And, like, it, looking at the world in such a really exciting way. Um, yeah, so I love working with high schoolers. Uh, and how about uh, this area in particular, western Massachusetts, for doing what you do? I guess you grew up here Yeah, well, I did grow so up here. necessarily have any other place to compare it to. but Yeah, I would say there are the pluses and minuses. Um, I think that there are a lot of amazing institutions here. Like the DIY scene is is thriving and immense and amazing. Um, and then on top of that, there are like lots of venues that do really good work. Um, and, you know, like every town around here has a thriving arts council that works really hard to do really good things. Um, And I think that's not typical of everywhere. I would say that when I started writing in this area, as opposed to in Philly where I was living, um, I had a much harder time conceiving of where I fit in Mm. the music scene because there weren't any women of color who were playing the kind of music that I was playing. Yeah. Not that there needs to be like an exact model no, of who I could be. but that is an anomaly in, yeah. in any area. Well. Yeah, it's an anomaly. And it's also that like it gets tiring. It gets tiring having to figure out your path as the first person doing mm. the thing that you're doing. Because that happens to me all the time in many spaces. I'm the only uh, black faculty member at the school where I teach, which is like you know, a big private school. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm the only, like, mixed person a lot of my students know. Yeah, and, the first yeah. that they've ever met or something. Yeah, so often. So I've, I find myself, like, in any public situation 
fielding a lot of questions just about my demographic and like <laughs> um and so when it came to performing not only do I get subjected to that a lot just being like on the stage yeah. but also when I'm creating my music there's a lot people are seeing it through a certain lens and I get a lot of questions about like why my music doesn't sound more black or like once they figure out that I'm Indian they'll be like you should add sitar to your oh god did they really say that? oh my god I yes I've had people say that I think three times being like yeah you know what I mean so I know people are looking at me and thinking like this is what this should sound like and that's not what I'm doing um and so i think that i i automatically come up against a little bit of friction in terms of what people are perceiving and what i'm i'm creating um and that's diff that's really difficult mm. in this area for me but i think there are a couple of like i think gateway city arts and holyoke is doing a really good job at making really intentionally diverse yeah. um performance and they're really good at you know being intentional about including women performers and performers of color and like all sorts of alternative art forms as well besides just music um and then I think that Emma Emma Ayers from Old Flame um is like such a force in this community she is really intentional about creating intergenerational performance spaces and prioritizing yeah, that's, that's rare women. yeah oh it's so rare spaces and she works like so hard just because she cares about it um, and has opened a lot of doors for me personally and so many other musicians in the area um, to get into spaces where we wouldn't usually be. Mm. Yeah, there is kind of a gap that needs to be bridged. Yeah. Between getting the the young the younger crowd in there. Yeah, yeah. So that's one aspect that the scene in this area could improve on. Yeah, I think so. Having uh, been d down in other areas and kind of noticing the contrast. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so because like I I was doing booking for a venue for a little while and like it's very convenient and very easy to fill up your whole schedule with men. Like oh, yeah. there are tons of male a musicians. Lot of genres are kind of boys clubs. Yeah, exactly. And if you're like, Oh, I want a folky like artist and then like I want like a punk band and then I want this and I want that it's like men are doing all of it. Right. So it's like so easy to find that. And you have to search a little harder if you're like, I want like, why should there not be black women punk bands everywhere? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for some reason, that seems like such a novelty to some people. But it's right. Because you know, the spaces are closed to, you know what I mean, or feel closed yeah. to a lot of people. And so those kind of bands don't exist in this area in the amount that they should. Um and it takes effort on the part of a venue to do the work to search for those do people. Do the extra research, yeah. Yeah. But it's worth it. Absolutely. I think it's worth it. So, you got August 28th mm -hmm. at the Iron Horse. Any other big shows that you want to make sure to get out there? Um, in, <laughs> in November, I'm going to be in an opera oh. with my mom. It's going to be at the Academy of Music um, in Northampton. It's the first two weekends. So you sing opera. I do. On top yeah, of everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's super fun. Um, yeah, it's going to be an old Gilbert and Sullivan opera called The Gondoliers. Um, yeah, it's great music. It's super fun. 
and they have a live orchestra. That's like the best part of it. Wow, so that's at the Academy of Music. Yeah, first two weekends of November. Wow. And then when are you uh, anticipating your next release, wrangling Hmm. that together? I would love to have, I think I need to write five more songs because I would love to have some things to choose from. I don't just want to record the bare minimum of what I have. Um, But now that I have a reasonable idea of the process, um, I think if I could write five more songs... Before the end of the year, I could put something out nine months after that. Wow. Like a baby. <laughs> yeah. Tentatively. Yeah. Yes. And this would be the same process working with Jacob and... Maybe. He- yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. Maybe. I would... I mean, he would definitely be playing. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait to hear more. <laughs> All right, Jemai, Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was the fantastic Kimaya Diggs, truly a musician with many different talents. By all means, go out to see her play live if you're in the area. And if you like this episode of Talking About the Passion, please subscribe to it on iTunes and feel free to give us a rating while you're at it. If you use Spotify, you can follow the Talking About the Passion Spotify playlist to hear a big collection of tunes from artists who've been featured on this podcast in the past. The theme song for Talking About the Passion is the Niagara Moon song, Eating Peaches, off my 2017 album, Eating Peaches. I'm going to play you one more song from Kimaya. This is called Baby Isn't Home. So definitely stick around for that, and I'll see you next time. Look at him.